Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. There, there was a bear there, all black and brown and covered in hair. Hi, I'm Lot, Lady of Tarth, on Tumblr. I'm also on Twitter, but I can't remember what it is. Joined with <laughs> Chicky. Hey, I'm Chicky. I'm at the Chicken on Twitter. <laughs> Kama. Hi, this is Kama, and I'm at Oxford Place on... See, you're not the only one. Um, at <laughs> oh Oxford Place on Twitter. Guys, get it together. Well, I never... Oh, I don't know. I think that's right. <laughs> and Devin. <laughs> Still... <laughs> what's terrible is too there's like probably like a hundred lady of tarths or variations of so there are wonderful follows go follow them damn it go follow them all they they must be great people i like the username (laughs) (laughs) um i'm devin gd harper on twitter yeah follow follow devin on my behalf as well. Okay. <laughs> Quite the intro. This is shaping up to be a great episode, guys. <laughs> so, yeah, this might be an indicator of what you're in for. Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here. Uh, we are reading uh, Jamie 7 from A Feast for Crows. Um, spoilers for everything, so you have been warned. All right. Um, so we're at River Run, and Emin Frey is calling for Edmir's head. Edmir asks, for what crime? Um, I did what was asked of me. Jamie has a headache and is not amused. They have searched everywhere for Brendan Tully. Um, they cannot find the blackfish. He has clearly escaped. Jamie has it in his mind to um, knock a few of Brendan Tully's teeth out. He... Um, he instead tells him that they have obulates beneath Caster, Casterly Rock, so small and tight that you can't reach down to touch your feet when the rats start nibbling at your toes. He adds, we could, you know, put your wife down there beside you. At that, Edmure tells him that Brennan escaped out of the water gate and he swam away. I love how Jamie was like just congratulating himself on what a great job he did of like solving this whole river run thing. And then Edmir kind of sidesteps him and lets, lets the blackfish go. It's pretty, <laughs> pretty awesome. <laughs> and he's like a little so like kind of smug about it, right? So you have that. He just wants to knock his teeth. Yeah. Edmure, Edmure is, is stupidly smug because he shouldn't be. He's in no position to be smug. <laughs> yeah, but I, I gotta love him for that because he just was really made to eat shit. And even if it was a great offer, it's still he yeah. was expected yeah. to eat shit. And this is him sort of like, ha, well, okay, guess what? You don't get it all. <laughs> I love that Jamie, Jamie and Edmure have literally been going back and forth like this since A Game of Thrones, since the first book. They've been having these back and forth things. Huh. I hope they get more interaction. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that would be nice. So, um, see, Jamie looks out at the river, and when Emin Frey says, you have to find him, he replies, he'll be found, but he's Jamie's not really confident about that. Emin is worried that the blackfish will come back, and then Lady Jenness tells her husband, this is your seat. It is for you to hold. If you can't do that, put it to torch and run back to the rock. I uh, love Jenna. 
when Edmure and Jamie are alone, Edmure tells Jamie how he will never know how much it sickens him to see him in his father's solar. Jamie tells him he's been despised by better men than him. Edmure is taken away, and Jamie looks at a map of the Riverlands trying to determine where the Blackfish could have fled. And then that is when we meet the lovely Lady Sybil <laughs> Westerling. Um, her daughter Jane is with her. Jamie notices that the girl has a scab on her forehead. When he asks her how she came, how that happened, her mother tells him that she refused to get up, give up the crown that the rebel had given her. Jane sobs and says, um, you had no right that Rob had made it for her, and I love him. Sybil goes to smack her daughter again, and then Jamie steps between them. Jamie asks Jane if she carries his child. She tries to flee, and then she is caught by the guards at the door. Sybil answers for her. She does not. She did as her lord father, as his lord father had bid. So Sybil's been forcing moon tea or whatever down Jane's throat. Jamie, um, tells his guard to let the girl go. And then he asks Sybil Westerling what else, um, she would have of him. Tywin had promised her lords and heirs for her daughters. Jamie thinks the Westerlings are an old proud house, but Sybil was a spicer up jump merchants. Her grandmother half mad with witch woman from the East. I wonder if she's related to Sean Spicer. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Uh, Jamie promised her um, the marriages, but Jane must wait two years. You know, can't have anyone thinking that the pregnancy could possibly be of Rob's. Sybil tells... I love how, like, two years is his safe point. That's great. Like, (laughs) if it's been at least two years, no one will think it's Rob's baby. That's kind of like his whole, like, m- mode of oper- uh, operation, right? It's like, just double it. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> little insurance. <Yeah. laughs> well, it's probably because you could, I mean, with like, I get eight it. Years, I get it. But like, a year somehow. I guess. Well, you know, it, you get a small baby. Uh, you know, you, there's probably ways to make that you're yeah. safe with two years. Yeah. You know, you can't, you cannot put pass off a, you know. Honestly, though, and if Sybil Westerling really wanted to go that route, she wouldn't even need to have her daughter actually have a baby. Find a baby. It would be somebody else. It would be someone else. Yeah. That this wouldn't be her because I think Sybil knows which side of the bread or butter is buttered on. It would be somebody else. It would be some northern lord or somebody who's got, you know, an eye for opportunity. Blackfish. Yeah, I, I don't think it's, it's, this is not, this wouldn't be Sybil, this would be somebody else. I'm just saying, let's say for whatever reason she decided to go that route. She wouldn't even need to, like, have her daughter be pregnant. She could just fake it, have a baby, go that route. Not saying she would. Anyway, okay, so Sybil tells Jamie she has sons as well, one of them, Reynold, who went to the twins. If she had known what was to happen, she never would have allowed that. Jamie thinks he's probably, um, he's probably, um, dead, but promises to pay the sons, her sons. God, like, I wonder if your (laughs) dirty dealings could backfire on you, Sybil. Jesus, yeah, I got your kid killed. 
Just the thought of, like, Tywin knowing that, too. That he probably knew and kind of enjoyed the thought. But he probably just didn't think about it. I mean, he probably didn't think about the fact that her kid would be with him at the twins, you know? Not a detailed guy. We've established that over years. No, not in his bargaining. Oh, Tywin's not? He didn't yeah. really specify what was going to happen to, um, um, uh, what's his name? The crazy king, Ares' kids. He didn't bother to specify what was to happen. I mean, because well, he didn't bother to specify specifically, please don't rape and murder Ilya Martell. She got raped and murdered. But I, I mean, mean, he put people in charge who should have, I mean, with those people in charge, you, you kind of do need to spell out, no, you should not kill the little child. I mean, like, if yeah, you're going to go send um, the mountain after somebody, you know, you, you should be aware that these things will happen. With crazy people. But um, is it him not foreseeing the details or him not really caring about these particular details? I think it's both. I, I think in some cases they, those, those decisions did come back to haunt him and he did, but he just doesn't seem to care. And also his, his, that's his justification. I mean, he does it with, um, I know he does it about um, like Rainey's and the baby, and I know he does it about Ilya, and he definitely does it about Cat. There's a whole conversation where he's like, "Oh well, you know, I didn't think to blah blah blah," and it's like, "Whoops," you know. I think that's him. Just, I mean, like I said, if you're gonna have, if you're gonna go have Gregor Clegane go do stuff. Maybe you should specify because you know what he's like. Hmm. Okay, so um, she tells Jamie that a bride from Casterly Rock was promised for him as well. Um, see, mention was made of a match for him as well. A bride from Casterly Rock, your lord father, said that Reynold would have joy of him if all went as we hoped. Even from the grave, Lord Tywin's dead hand moves us all. Joy is my late uncle, Jerrion's natural daughter. A betrothal can be arranged if that is your wish, but any marriage will need to wait. Joy was nine or ten when last I saw her. His natural daughter, Lady Sybil, looked as if she had swollen, swallowed a lemon. You want a westerling to wed a bastard? No, more than I want Joy to marry the son of some scheming turncloak bitch. She deserves better. Jamie would happily have strangled a woman with her seashell necklace. Joy was a sweet child, albeit a lonely one. Her father had been Jamie's favorite uncle. Your daughter is worth ten of... Your daughter is worth ten of you, my lady. You'll leave with Edmure and Sir Forley on the morrow. Until then, you would do well to stay out of my sight. He shouted for a guardsman, and Lady Sybil went off with her lips pressed primly together. Jamie had to wonder how much Lord Gawain knew about his wife's scheming. How much do men ever know? <laughs> um, I did notice, though, in this passage, when um, she was talking about joy... It wasn't like a capitalized joy should have joy of him. Yeah, clearly, clearly Tywin was playing word games. He's like, you'll have joy of me. And what he meant was his bastard niece. But she didn't know that because he uh, didn't capitalize it and make it clear. <laughs> I love that, Tywin. I love how snobbish 
actually all the Lannisters are about the Spicers because, you know, they they sold spice and herbs and, you know, God forbid. Well, and Maggie the Frog is her Well, I, I admit that's probably, you know, a head scratcher for anybody. Like, what do you do with her at a family reunion? But, you know. <laughs> you hide her in a cave. <laughs> that's terrible. You don't do that. <laughs> I'm just like, why didn't Maggie the Frog warn her own granddaughter about what to be careful with if she could see the future so well? Yeah. Like, don't get your kid killed, dummy. You know how, I mean, there's that whole, like, you know, just because you have the site doesn't mean you can use it to your own advantage or whatever. That seems to be a whole mythos. I don't know. Also, everything comes out real cryptic, too, right? So you think you're, like, avoiding something when you're really on the path that like the Valen, like the Valencar shall wrap his hands around your throat. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I kind of wonder. Did Sib- I mean? Did Maggie not really like Sybil? Because you know she doesn't seem like somebody I want to hang around with. Yeah. Um. See, Edmure and the Westerlings ride out with four hundred men. Jamie having doubled their number at the last moment. Um, ten men will guard Edmure, including their best bowmen. Better dead than fled, thinks Jamie. He instructs his men to also have the archer watch Jane as well, and this kind of shocks him. Jamie tells him that the girl is twice as dangerous if she were to escape. Jamie turns to leave, and he rides past the westerlings. Jane is hooded, her fine clothes torn in mourning. Jamie wonders if Cersei would ever tear her gown if she were to learn of his death. Uh, Jamie deter- uh, detours to Tumblestone to call on Edwin Frey. He is with his bastard. Okay, can we pause here yeah, for yeah, a sec? Yeah. Because this is a big deal, sending off this whole convoy of people. Because George, I don't know if accidentally, but let it drop at some point, that Jane Westerling is going to be in the... Um, the the first the prologue chapter of the winds of winter so most people think that it's probably going to be an amb- ambush of this group of people with the westerlings and edmure um anyway just want to like say keep an eye on this hmm. like the brotherhood. maybe the brotherhood go ahead Devin. is it supposed to be our pov i know he said she'd be in it but is it did he ever confirm that part of it he didn't say it would be her pov and in fact the way that i read it it very much sounded like it wasn't her pov she's just gonna be in it featured in it and and he kind of says there'll be more of her which you wouldn't expect from a prologue pov oh okay oh i didn't know the more of her part yeah that's why that's why better for jane yeah yeah I could yeah. see it maybe then being her mother, being Sybil's POV. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, that would be wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> it wouldn't shock me if it was Sybil Spicer. Yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> I hope okay. I get to read that someday. Yeah, I hope that exists one day. <laughs> Chances are low. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so, uh, yeah, so we have the two Frey, um, relatives bickering with each other, and, um, uh, when Jamie walks in, uh, we have Ed- Edwin say, uh, my father's blood is on your hands, sir, and Jamie learns that Ryman's Frey's party have all been found dead and hanged, not two leagues away from Fair Market. Uh, Jamie thinks Ryman Frey was a fool, craven, and sought, not likely to have been missed much. 
but he can't help but think this was a bold move. Reverse. Uh, I love how we just found out in Brienne's last chapter that Lady Stoneheart just came from Fair Market and she's got that crown. Yep. And we're like, oh. Well, you know, it's so wonderful to actually like read these like in this sequence. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, pick up on so much more. <laughs> Ryman Frey was a. F- oh, I read that. Okay. Rivers suspects that spies, you know, are all around them. Um, Edwin Frey um, then blames his brother, thinking that he knows it's just him in the way for this uh, Walder seat. Jamie has a great line where he's like, you know, if you will pardon me from intruding on your grief. <laughs> and uh, because they're just clearly not upset at all about their relatives being killed. <laughs> Jamie asks for all of uh, Walder's prisoners to be turned over, all of them who have survived the Red Wedding. He specifically asks about Reynold Westerling. Edwin tells him he'll be feeding fish at the bottom of the river. Waylon Frey had told him of how they had disarmed Reynold, but then they shot, when they shot the dire wolf, he had grabbed uh, Waylon's axe and cut the wolf loose. He then managed to throw himself over the wall walk into the river, but not before taking a quarrel in his shoulder and gut. Uh, in the evening, Jamie spars with Ilan Payne. He's doing better, but not also not that great. Um, after they finish, they have a drink of wine, and Jamie talks, and he thinks Ilan is the perfect drinking companion, never interrupts, not disagrees, complains, or tells pointless stories. Jamie tells him, I shut up all the tongues uh, removed from my friends. A silent Cersei would be sweet, although I'd miss her tongue when we kissed. That part was so gross. I'm sorry. Okay, well, maybe this is the answer coming off of Brienne's last that's chapter where I'm... she bites her tongue off. <laughs> well, that's, that's I can't a prophetic help. dream. <laughs> I can't help but feel like this is some uh, too similar uh, imagery. It is a weird, yeah. It, it well, especially you know, this is. These chapters are only like a couple of chapters apart. Yeah, it's weird. Anyway, Um, he says how at first their kisses were innocent and uh, Tyrion once told him that whores didn't kiss. And then he asks Ilan, do you think my sister kisses Kettle Black? Um, Jamie says he didn't think it proper to slay his sworn brother, but he could geld him and send him to the wall. Um, he wonders, though, what to do with Cersei. Ilan makes a gesture across his throat with his thumb. No, Jamie said, Toman has lost a brother, the man he thought his father. He would hate him if he were to kill his mother, too. And then he thinks... Okay, but can we talk about how lacking in self-awareness Jamie is here since he was literally fucking the queen the whole time he was in the king's guard while Robert was king? And yet he's like, uh-uh, you fucked Cersei, I'm sending you to the wall and I'm gelding you. <laughs> Well, the th- part that I found intriguing about this little bit of dialogue was the fact that Ilan Payne makes a gesture like, let's just kill your sister. And <laughs> what kind of emotional response does it evoke in Jamie? Nah, I can't do that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Compared to some dude that's like insulting Brienne and he like smacks the fuck out of him. This is like mm, nothing. I mean, I assume that there's a, a not so serious element to this, but yes, it is very heavy handed on George's part. <laughs> I mean, like Just if you to be inside Ellen's head right now. 
Oh my god, the stuff this guy knows. And anytime, and anytime they're having well, not conversations, but anytime Jamie is talking to him, just to if it didn't, what if he had a POV chapter? Oh god, I don't know if I want to go. Oh god, (laughs) now you're making me think he'll probably be like the epilogue of wins or something. I don't know. You know what else I thought of? It's terrible, but like he has no tongue, and they're talking about like drinking like the finest wine, <laughs> the Tully finest wine. I'm like, this oh god, is, this is totally lost on this man. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of that. <laughs> what does oh, he that's care? so true. As long as he gets him drunk, he don't care. <laughs> so he could be having, I don't know, like I don't know, boxed crap or whatever, or Bartles and James, and it would be the same as if he was having something really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, your mind wanders sometimes. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so Jamie also um, thinks of Marjorie and how that, you know, if uh, Toman hates Jamie, she could then use that in, uh, to the benefit of Highgarden. Um, see, the next day, the writers and Jamie set out to search for the black. F- oh, sorry, the writers that Jamie had sent out come back, and there's no blackfish. Um, but their numbers are far fewer. They were attacked by wolves, led by a giant monstrous she-wolf. Jamie tells them um, to light circles of fire for protection around themselves at night. Um, see, Lords of the Trident ask to take their leave, and he grants it. Uh, Lord Carl Vance tells Jamie he needs to go to Raven Tree, that Janos and Tidos will never yield, but may bend the knee for Jamie. Strong Boar um, wants to return to Derry. He came to fight outlaws. Um, he wants the Hound or Beric Dondarrion. Jamie tells him the Hound is yours, but we need Beric alive. The garrison left at River runs swore they know nothing of the Blackfish's whereabouts, and Jamie believes them, but Jenna suggests they could be put to question. Jamie gives his word they would leave unharmed. Jamie was feeling pretty content with himself. You know, the war was all but won. Dragonstone had fallen. Storm's End was um, soon to fall. Stannis could be sent to the Wall. He did his part without having to take up arms against Starks or Tullys. Once he finishes with the Blackfish, he can return to King's Landing, to Tommen, where he belongs with his son. He wonders if Tommen would want to know that. Cersei would need to be dealt with and set aside. Kevin might agree to be hand if he is. Um, he thinks Littlefinger might make a perfect hand. He's too low-born to actually have an army of his own. I kind of forgot that Jamie had that thought. <laughs> About Littlefinger? Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> nobody sees through Littlefinger well enough. Yeah. He's not the only one. Everyone seems to think this is a good idea, and it's like, no. Oh, no, 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 don't do that. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, Tywin, Tywin never thought it. Nobody really. See, John Aaron, uh, clearly. Uh, props to Littlefinger in a way, I suppose. Anyway, the next day, the Tully... Oh, wait, a lot, a lot, a lot, what, before what? you move on. I just want to say, this, this is some important stuff, because this is very important character development for Jamie. You have, number one, the way that Jamie gets to be in a position in which he is deciding who the hand is and changing who's around Tillman and Atomen and all of this stuff is he has to be regent. So Jamie never explicitly says this, but only the regent gets to decide this shit. So he, he has decided somewhere along this way that he's going to have to take over as regent. He can't let Cersei be regent anymore. 
And this is a very, very big deal as far as Jamie's character development and then as far as his relationship with Cersei, because you can imagine how well Cersei would react to Jamie taking over as regent. <laughs> like, right. Holistic is, I think, the term that you would use for what she would go. So it's a very big deal. It kind of almost makes you hope he would have, uh, we could have heard more of his thoughts about what does it mean when he thinks dealt with, like, cause, like you said, like, she's not gonna take this lying down. He has to know that. No. He does. And that's the thing. He does know that. You know, he knows that this is, this is him knowing he's gonna go do something that is gonna, um, break things between them forever. He's already made this decision. I mean, you, you can't do what he's talking about doing unless you are the regent or the king. And yeah. so this is a very big deal. But then also, I mean, just as a human being, um, Jamie Lannister, the original deadbeat dad is, you know, finally taking very seriously the idea that, you know, it's not just that he is Kingsguard. It's not just that, you know, Tommen and by extension, Marcella are family, you know, he's taking very seriously the idea that he's actually their father and that maybe them having him as a father or having a father might be even more important than, you know, trying to hold on to the the throne or anything like that. This is a very big development. And I like the fact that Jamie thinks about what they might want too, when he's thinking, you know, he's like, I wonder what they would want me to do or what they would, you know, mm-hmm. which is probably not something that those kids have ever experienced no, from a parent. I don't know what that that's like. <laughs> okay, so the next day, the Tully garrison is uh, free to go on the condition that they vow never to take arms against Lord Emmon or House Lannister. Lady Jenna remarks, you know, one in ten might actually keep that vow. Uh, two men opt to take the black instead. They are Grell and Robin Riger. He assigns a dozen of Gregor Clegane's men to escort the two of them to Maiden Pool, unspoiled. Or what Gregor did to the goat will seem a jolly affair. <laughs> After a pass, I love how he's trusting Raph the Sweetling with this. What a guy. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> I guess he's running out of guys. I don't know. <laughs> After a passing of days, Lord Emmon spends three hours giving a speech to those left at River Run. A singer called Tom of Seven Strings makes Jamie um, laugh when he tells him the speech is longer than um, a murder, uh, sorry, a marcher's ballad, and I don't think he stopped for breath. Jamie tells a singer if he wants to stick around, Lady Jenna is the one that he should aim to please. Not you, he asks. My place is with the king. I shall not stay here longer. Hmm. Yeah. So the mm. singer. Hmm? 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 Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the double agent? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, see. In the evening, he dreams he's in the great sept of Baylor, standing vigil over his father's corpse. A woman emerges from the shadows, but it's not Cersei. It's a silent sister. He asks her, Sister, what would you have of me? And I've selected it. Um, I'm not your sister, Jamie. She raised a pale, soft hand and pushed her hood back. Have you forgotten me? Can I forget someone I never knew? The words caught in his throat. He did know her, but it had been so long. Will you forget your own Lord Father, too? I wonder if you ever knew him, truly. Her eyes were green, her hair spun gold. He could not tell how old she was. Fifteen, he thought, or fifty. She climbed the steps to stand above the byre. 
and could never abide being laughed at. That was the thing he hated most. Who are you? He had to say to her. The question is, who are you? This is a dream. Is it? She smiled sadly. Count your hands, child. One. One hand. Clasped tight around the sword hilt. Only one. In my dreams, I always have two hands. He raised his right arm and stared, uncomprehending at the ugliness of his stump. We all dream of things we cannot have. Tywin dreamt his son would be a great knight, and that his daughter would be a queen. He dreamt they would be so strong and brave and beautiful that no one would ever laugh at them. I am a knight, he told her, and Cersei is a queen. A tear rolled down her cheek. The woman raised her hood again and turned her back to him. Jamie called after her, but already she was moving away. Her skirt was spring lullabies as it brushed across the floor. Don't leave me, he wanted to call, but of course she'd left them long ago. We actually had a question about this. Oh, no. Is it Quaith? Is it a Quaith question? No. <laughs> it's not? Um, I didn't know that that was a possibility. Um, it's from Clearance Unicorn, and they write... Um, well, okay, they write before this, uh, I love the way Jamie's treatment of Jane and Sybil shows what he values and what he despises. But my favorite part of this chapter is the dream of Joanna, which is, this is me now, comma, um, saying this is who I thought it was supposed to be. Um, I've talked about what I think it means elsewhere. So question, what do the ladies and occasional gents of close the door think it means? Well, I think it is Joanna. I mean... Lullaby. Oh yeah. And all that. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of the dead ringer for that. But the the thing that kind of stumps <laughs> says a portrait <laughs> sword. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> uh, that uh, is a bit of a hiccup for me. Is um, the part where he doesn't have both his hands. So are we supposed to like feel that there's some real significance to this in some way that? It's not mm-hmm. a dream? And how is it not a dream? What's happening in his life right now that makes this somehow an elevated vision or whatever? Well, oh, I brought up the Quay thing because that... <laughs> oh, God. People think um, that Joanna Lannister is alive and she has a glass candle and she is using it to basically visit Jamie and give him this vision that is not a dream. Um, I don't think so. <laughs> Myself. She gave I, it all up and moved to Essos to like yeah. walk around mysteriously. Oh, so Joanna Lannister is Quaith is the theory. I, it's a theory. I mean, it's, it's Why a theory. Why does everyone want everyone to always be alive in this story? <laughs> I don't know. I don't it's know. Accepted. I don't know. Um, I mean, I don't think it holds up very well to just what what would what would what would her motivation be yeah, to do that, and what right. would George's motivation be to have her be that? I don't I don't think there is one. Yeah, it makes absolutely no sense. Like she's, I mean, her life is pretty darn good. <laughs> well, I mean, there's the heiress thing, but that I mean, she was I mean, she was removed from that. Well, it's like even if it was the heir, like if if Tyrion was heiresses or something. I mean, like wouldn't well, you take Tyrion with more you? Like I mean, his unwanted attentions or whatever. But even so, I mean, yeah, her life is pretty darn good, as Lot said. I mean, why would if, you give all that up? I mean, if Tywin can't protect you from heiress, then no one can protect you. Yeah. From- 
Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think, I don't think she's alive. I think, I think this probably isn't a dream. I think it might be, um, might be Bloodraven. I don't know. I, it, it seems like it's pretty clear that George wants you to know that's not a dream. But the, the thing, the thing it's based on, it's in this book that Sam learns about the glass candles. So that's why people kind of tied to you like, why is this here? If it isn't because it applies to something. And also speaking of things we in the last episode talked about the draft chapter of Brienne's stuff, but in the original, I don't know which release it is, but in the, when the original releases of storm, um, Jamie's, Jamie's first chapter of Feast is a, is like featured at the end, which is something, you know, authors sometimes do. They'll feature a chapter that's going to yeah. be in the next book preview. Um, that original release has this Joanna dream happening in Jamie's first chapter rather than his last one in Feast. So this is actually moved. Well, that cuts the my theory to Feast. What I was, was going to say like him, like having not having two hands in the, dream could be him like i don't know coming to terms with stuff or coming i mean he's clearly coming into his own you know he's yeah coming into his own as a, a leader he's coming back where he should be as a father he's he's sort of coming to terms with like cersei as a non-starter you know maybe like, the hand thing is him like, okay, this is who I am. This is what I've got to deal with. I don't know. Acceptance. That's kind of what I was thinking too. And the, who are you being asked either at the beginning of feast? That's, that changes like just the way you read his story through feast a lot. I think, um, if that was kept in the first chapter, that who are mm-hmm. you? Yeah. And because feast is so much about him finding himself and right. who he is now. Yeah. Agreed. Okay, um, let's see. So he awakens in his room and it's dark. The fire has gone out and he crosses over his room to the windows to shut the window and in his footsteps in snow. Um, he looks down and it's filling the yard below. He thinks that all hopes of one last harvest are doomed. He wonders about his father and, you know, what's he going to do? How is he going to feed the realm? And then he remembers that his father is dead. In the morning, squires, stable boys, and highborn pages all alike turn into children as they throw snowballs at each other. Jamie thinks of a time not so long ago when he would have been out there with them. Maester Vyman knocks on his door with a message from King's Landing. Jamie reads it. It says, Come at once. Help me. Save me. I need you now as I have never needed you before. I love you. I love you. I love you. Come at once. Vyman asks if he wishes to answer. Jamie rolls it up in his fist and hands it to Peck. No, put this in the fire. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> I mean, no explanation needed, right? No, There's I mean love that was meant to be, guys. How can you <laughs> not ship those beautiful golden fools? Sorry. <laughs> right, how how can you read this and oh my god <laughs> and think that Jamie and Cersei is supposed to be a thing? I just don't. They're just having a tiff right now, guys. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. 
this whole chapter is just littered with him making this break. And this is kind of just the cherry on top of it. Uh, I don't know. I shouldn't say this chapter, this whole goddamn book, but this chapter in particular. The whole book, yeah. But yeah, yeah, definitely really this chapter. Well, and the parallel between... Okay, I should have double-checked this. I believe that the order of these chapters is as such. Brienne's final chapter, where Brienne agrees or is, is asked by Stoneheart to, to, to kill Jamie and, or die herself. And she's like, no, I'm not going to kill him. I won't kill him. And then the next chapter is Cersei, who is captured by the faith and who is going to have to do a trial by combat. She understands to get out of this, this situation that she's in. She's like, bring Jamie back here. And Kyber's like, he only has one hand. And Cersei's like, well, then we'll die together. He can die with me. You know, I, yeah, we're, we're, yeah. we're going out together. And then you get to the end and it's kind of like Jamie making the call between the two. He's like, okay, well, I have this or I have this. And okay, well, yeah, I which way are you going? Not dying with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. That brings us to the end of that. Uh, do we have mail? We do. And um, I probably should have been better at this, but some of these were specific questions, but um Let's see. Guile asks, do you have any wild speculation about why George R.R. R. Martin gave both Jamie and Brienne a pain for their trip? Pain being <laughs> the last name. Huh. Podrick and Ellen? Yeah. You couldn't or, get who's... more like of a wide spectrum of that, like shades of gray, <laughs> black and no. white with those two no. pains. No, I forget they're related. So let's brought up. <laughs> Right. Well, we don't even know how they're related, but I mean, like everything we know about Illin, I mean, he was he was what Tywin's captain of the guard or something. So, I mean, like he was he was probably one of Tywin's henchmen before he became, you know, like literally the headsman for the whole realm. I mean, Illin's a dark guy. But then you have Podrick, who's just the sweetest, best little thing in the world. Yeah, I mean, can't judge people by their family. I'm just <laughs> Well, please don't. Please don't. I'm going to beg. Please don't. <laughs> Wax Taper Door asks, how telling is it that Jamie thinks of Cersei pre-letter um, at a time when they were children? It feels uh, melancholy when I read it. I don't know if that's a question or more of a comment. It's like but the snowball thing. I remember this. I think he talks about, he thinks about her, I don't know, the book in front of me, but I think before he gets the, the begging letter, he does think of her as like when they were kids. But. Okay. Um, moving on. Well, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about, to, I'm, yeah. it might be him trying to place the relationship a little better. Like maybe more as siblings. Who knows? Yeah, well, I mean, he is trying to put pieces together and where they all belong, and that would be the appropriate, normal way to think about your sister. As just a sister? Yeah. Well, he's all about writing things, this chapter. Right? Like He's trying to write things like literally all around him, so he can't help but think he's thinking about, like you said, the appropriateness of his relationship with her and how there was mm-hmm. a time when their kisses were innocent. I would go for that. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Sort of like not unlike some of our comments earlier. Um, Shirley Ann 66 um, says, how can anyone read Feast and decide Cersei is the hero we all want to root for? <laughs> who decide, Who thinks that? <laughs> Don't know. Right. Um, we had one last thing from Reddit and then we've got a Gmail. Um, the Reddit is from, again, Wax Paper Door, who says, I realize, okay, so, um, in the call for questions, um, there was a, a thing on the, uh, the subreddit, um, which was, how can people not love this stuff? And, um, Wax Paper Door writes, I realize your comment was rhetorical, but, how can people not love this stuff? I've seen true fans, TM, completely dismiss Brienne's chapters in Feast. Why do you think that is? And if Brienne is the captain of America of Westeros, does that make Stoneheart the Red Skull? Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I'm glad you know, because I don't know who the Red Skull it's, is. Uh, so. uh, captain America's like main enemy. Okay. He's like the Nazi. <laughs> I, I, I loved Feast. I mean, it was grim and dark and all that, but I really, I found it more of a fascinating read than dance, but. I think I it's like, I don't know. I, I really got to try to like wrap my head around these things. Cause like, I just, I adore Brienne. I just adore her, but I can't help, but sometimes feel like it is because of the very thing George has developed her character to, I can't articulate this well. Maybe it's because she's an ugly woman um, that I Mm. think she's dismissed. Um, I can't help but think that. I don't know. I think it's that she's ugly and that she's honorable. She's good. And good is often boring to people. (laughs) You know, like there's, there's, there are some really dark things in her life and dark things in her past, but she herself is not dark. And I think maybe that might be why, especially in this series where, you know, people are looking for very gray characters. And I mean, sure, Brienne is more gray than she's ever been, but God damn it, she's still the lightest character in the, all the books, including all the fucking kids. I mean, like, nobody's yeah. better than Brienne. Yeah. I, I do think, I think in fantasy literature, I think a lot of people, and they may have never articulated this, but it happens in real life. You can have an unconventionally looking man. You can have an ugly man. That's fine. Nobody thinks twice about it. But women in fantasy particularly are expected to all be attractive. If they're not beautiful right now, give them a makeover, throw a dress on them and they, you know, or they'll be, you know, but there'll always think, be something to focus on. To And I, I think, and I know this is a hashtag, not all men thing. Um, but I think for a lot of male readers, I think it's something they react against, you know, that she's ugly. I mean, I don't know. I do find, I will say, I find the I'm looking for a maid of three and ten with auburn hair a little repetitive. But, you know, (laughs) that's like Uh, minor compared to, you know, where the whores go and all the other stuff that we get with some of their characters. 
you do get the complaints. She's looking for somebody. We, we know where she is and we know she's never going to find her. And those are, there, there is something to to those complaints. And I mean, I will be the first one to say the main characters of this book of feast are Brienne, Cersei and Jamie. And they all, all of their chapters could have been reduced by at least a third, um, at the minimum. I mean, there's some bloat here. This is, this, this is bloated. So is dance. Um, same thing is true of the major POV characters in dance. They all could have been condensed too. Um, so I mean, th- there's something to that. I-, I will say too, a lot of people, at least when you, when you read these before dance was out and you get to this book and you're, you've waited five years for this book and there's no Tyrion and there's no Danny and there's no uh, John and nor Arya or any of that. Yeah, that is, that's a lot. <laughs> that to is ask. frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think there you go. <laughs> okay. Yeah, when you have uh, that perspective, you're probably on to something there. We also got a Gmail um, from, oh, God, I'm so sorry if I'm butchering names I, doing this last two episodes. Um, Ariuna, I'm not sure how you say this, but um, she, and I'm assuming, it, I shouldn't assume gender. Sorry about that. Um, but they write, hey, new listener here. I found you not too long ago, and I'm enjoying this podcast immensely. I'm trying to catch up as quickly as possible so I can actually send you messages and questions. But this chapter, and um, they're referring to Catelyn 3 here, which we did so long ago. um, Finally broke me, and I have to tell you who I think the best Rob match would be, even if it's two years too late. Wait, which book? Is this for Game of Thrones? I think this is Game of Thrones. It might know, you know, and it might be um, Clash because they're talking okay. about um, marrying Rob off, and um, they say that they're a throb sh- shipper. So if you don't know what that means, it's Dion and Rob. Um, but what, since Westeros is so heteronormative and patriarchal, the match that would have made the most sense for the North would have been Rob and Asha. And um, I think this is like this person is basically doing what we love to do sometimes, which is, okay, let's go back and fix things <laughs> way back. Um, so their idea was that instead of just dealing with, like, you know, Theon as a hostage, that if they had be betrothed um, by engaging Rob to Asha, you ensure that she can't inherit the Iron Islands and just in, and ensure, at least in theory and from the Northerners' point of view, that their next ruler will be someone that was raised in the, the North and with a good relationship to the era of Winterfell. Um, I'm, I'm truncating this a little bit, but, um, and then they're saying like that you could have had Sansa and Bran for alliances with the South and Rickon to secure Bannerman. And, um, they go on to say, honestly, Ned and Katz failing to secure their children's position and to educate them in the politics of the South especially cats and she is more aware of them are their biggest flaws as parents. Anyway, those are my very light thoughts on the subject. Um, thanks for always making me laugh. Um, P.S. Every time you mention winds of winter and how it will be out by Christmas or how <laughs> I doubt it will be released before the new season start. I don't know whether to laugh <laughs> or weep. It's been like a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. I haven't I talked like know. that in a while. I don't know. It's yeah, actually not a, Bad idea. Politically, I mean, it makes sense. I can't see Asha going for it. <laughs> well, I think the idea would have been that when the Greyjoys were in the Greyjoy Rebellion, that instead of just 
um, I, I didn't read the whole thing. I apologize. It was, was kind of lengthy, but basically I think the idea is that instead of, cause basically what they did is they took Theon and Ned had him, right? And that was how they ensured Balon's behavior. Yeah. So I think what they're saying is Theon's a hostage, but Rob and Asha get betrothed as children. And then when they're of age, Theon gets released, but Rob and Asha marry. I don't know. I don't, knowing who they are as people, I don't see this working out, but it is not a bad idea on paper. The only thing I would say is, well, number one, why would that be worth it for the Starks to give that up just to make this alliance or whatever with, with the Iron Islands who've been decimated? But number two, my thing would be, why would you think that would fucking matter to Balon? Or any of the great joys for that matter. I mean, like, I, it's just like, I've never really understood why anyone thought that the Starks having Theon was going to be this huge deterrent. I mean, I think the deterrent was that the Iron Islands hadn't quite rebounded from the rebellion yet. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I don't I think didn't they cared. This part, but they said, honestly, I think Theon's well-being may have been the least of Balon's worries. <laughs> I, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I, I do think they're right, though. I never really understood why they hadn't planned out at least for Rob and Sansa. I mean, to have thought That's about where these kids are going and that has never made Same. sense. Yeah. They were up there in years that, that should have been hammered out. Well, even if it was uh they're going to marry Bannerman, you know, kids or something like that or Bannerman themselves, you know, for Sansa. But I mean, well, it's I, like, maybe you wouldn't have finalized, but you get the impression they've actually never talked about uh-huh. it, which right. is bizarre. And it's, it's like, it's yeah, not even like, never come up. They've never had speculation and then Joffrey showing up is, oh, oh, wait, our daughter's nearly marriageable. We should maybe do something yeah, about I this. I guess we should probably think about this. And it yeah, certainly like is Rob never... needs to have, he should have had something like in place. There should have been something. Hell, he's probably. And Sansa's just could have been an idea like at the time, I guess. But Rob he's... definitely needed something as the heir and all. He's 14 in a Game of Thrones or 15. 14 or 15. I think, well, I think he dies when he's 15. He's 14 so, in the game. Of yeah. Time. I mean, you would have yeah. thought that would have been actually far more along in the planning, even. I mean, beyond speculation and well, down to, I mean, yeah, our- I could see why you wouldn't have finalized anything, but you definitely would have been like, well, here are top three candidates or something. You know what I mean? Like you would have been thinking about it if this was your kid. Yeah. I would hey, think. Hey, Ned, did you write that letter to so and so, you know, or whatever? I mean, you know, you'd think Marjorie would probably be in the mix for Rob and, you know, I don't well, know. Even if they weren't going with, um, they weren't going with Southern houses, if they were, or thinking of keeping it in the, you would have thought that they would have had, had a talk. I can't believe that they yeah. have, you know, anyhow, that's our mail. <laughs> All right. That's great. And thank you for reading that, Karma. Um, let's see. So if you'd like to send us more messages, you can at close the door and at gmail.com. You can reach us at close the door and come here.tumblr.com. You can follow us on Twitter at door podcast. Uh, please like, subscribe and review wherever you listen. Um, also consider supporting this podcast on Patreon. I believe we have a couple of episodes, um, uh, Patreon episodes that have been you can basically um, have us at your will if you will throw us $50. Yeah. <laughs> and we've got one coming up where we are at someone's will. So, so stay tuned for that. I kind of like it. <laughs> Sounds um, dirty. Yeah, I know, right? 
<laughs> anyway, on that note, thank you all. I'm closing the door. Get out.